Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we continue our series Character Sketch, and in this installment, we are joined by the Reverend Jamie Kendrew, who will be preaching on Deborah and her wisdom. Before we get to this week's message, I would like to encourage each of you to go to ccgf.org slash Easter to get all the details regarding our Holy Week services, including Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and all of our services for Easter. Once again, that is ccgf.org slash Easter. Now, here is Pastor Jamie with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, happy spring, everybody. Nothing says spring like 75 feet of snow. And uh, snow day, right, kids? And so, uh, anyway, hey, uh, my name is Pastor Jamie. It's a blessing to be here with you this morning. We're continuing in our our, um, character sketch series where we're taking a look at the lives of people in the Bible. And I said this uh, in the last service, and I want to say it again. You know, as we, we call them character sketches, don't confuse that with these are characters. These are real historical people that happened and took place. And in our account today... Um, takes place in such a place and in such a way that there's tons and tons of historical um, things that surround this. And so as we think about this, remember, these events happen. They took place, and it's part of the heritage of you and I. And, you know, thinking on... Easter and everything going on here at the church, I do really want to encourage some of you guys to come to our Saturday night service because we're all about the people who aren't here right now, right? We want, to, we want to take the gospel message of Jesus Christ to people who have not heard. And Easter is one of those holidays where people show up at church. And so, you know, two things come out of the Saturday night service. And then the second thing, I really want to challenge us as a church all this week, every day. I want you to take a moment. I don't care if it's when you're going shaving, when you're getting a shower, when you're going to work, whatever it may be, I want you to take a moment and pray for the hearts of the people who may hear the gospel message of the Lord for the first time next week. We need to be doing that um, because as a family, we're ministering together. Amen? In fact, why don't we stop and do that right now? God, we love you. And as we think about the gospel message being presented in all the churches across the city of Pittsburgh that, that proclaim you as king, we pray, Lord, first that you would fill their congregations, each of them. Um, we pray, Lord, that you would fill their pulpits with the divine inspired word of God, that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And so, Lord, we pray for the the hearts and the ears of those who are going to step foot in the church, that they may hear something that changes their forever, something that brings them to wisdom, something that brings them to understand that they don't have to live in the bondage that they're living in. So, God, we lift up all those who will preach next week in our city that will proclaim your word, and we pray that you would be with the hearts and the ears of those who will hear. May they hear what you want them to hear. And may we have that this morning as well, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. We have a soap opera today. (laughs) We read a portion of the tongue twister to you uh, this morning, but the story of Deborah is really an epic, epic story. Um, I've been to this location on the earth, and it's an epic, epic location. And so I want you to just, we're going to kind of go through the story We have an epic story with lots of wisdom and knowledge and head knowledge, but the application this morning is really simple. You know, if you've ever had the privilege of walking into Pastor Jared's office, you turn immediately to the right, and on his wall, there's like 50,000 diplomas. Have you ever been in there? He's the smartest human being I've ever met. He's got a diploma in everything. I think he has a diploma in how to frame diplomas. He's, He's brilliant. But I want to say this. 
It's not Pastor Jared's knowledge of stuff that makes him an incredible pastor. What makes him an incredibly wise pastor is his intimacy with God. I don't care how much you know, if you're not in intimacy with God, you're not wise. You see, wisdom, as we're going to sketch out Deborah today, we're going to talk about her as the wise judge of Israel. Wisdom is simple. The application for this sermon is simple. Wisdom is found in a relationship with the Lord. It's that simple. See you, everybody. A little more to it. And so as we think about the life of Deborah, we're going to sketch her out. And in order for us to really sketch Deborah out, we're going to have to sketch out another person in the Bible that's given a personification. And Solomon really describes wisdom as a woman in Romans, listen to me, in Proverbs 8. Okay? And so we're going to talk about the character sketch of Deborah and the character sketch of wisdom this morning. Because the two really are one. And so what we encounter is, we encounter a story with lots of funny names. Now, when we were there, the guide who was, who was traveling around Israel with us had a hard time pronouncing some of the names that we're going to go through this morning. And he's a Palestinian man, so I don't feel bad, all right? So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to Judges 4 with me right now. You're going to get the Pastor Jamie abbreviated version as we go through this this morning, and we're going to dip into the scripture as we go along because there's certain things you just really need to see written down. So Israel, as we learned last week, is under a period of the judges. The judges bring down the wrath of God or the judgment of God, and the people of Israel are really delivered through the faithfulness of these judges and the faithfulness that happens with the people of Israel. Thank God for Jesus. Amen? And we don't have to live under this anymore. And so you have this period of the judges, and one of the judges that Pastor Jared spoke about last week was briefly, he spoke about Ehud. He was the left-handed assassin that, that climbed into the king's chamber and stabbed him, and he was a, he was, he, there was a lot of him. And, and so it's a great story, and I would really encourage you to read it sometime. So Ehud had ruled over, he liberated Israel through the blessing of God from, from the evil king, and, and so then there's another guy who comes along who gets like half a sentence in the Bible, um, his name's Shamgar, and Shamgar's mentioned briefly uh, in the pages of scripture, but needless to say, what happens is, is Ehud is gone, and Shamgar is dead, they're all dead, and so the nation of Israel is now being left on their own to, to really just continue to worship God. Now, as we get into the book of Deborah, it, it really, the book of Deborah, the book of Judges in the chapter on Deborah, it really breaks down into four different scenes that we see. It's like a soap opera. And by the way, Pastor Jared talked about Judges and Judge Judy last week. So the only face I could see when I'm thinking about Deborah is Judge Judy. Then I walk in here this morning and there's Judge Judy. We got a soap opera of a story. We got judges, or the, we got Judge Judy. So really, the book of Judges is daytime TV for uh, for the Bible. A lot of good stuff in here, though, folks. Listen. So we encounter this scenario. Israel uh, is is having this thing, and, and this chapter breaks down in four ways. And I want you to know, like the first one, we're going to talk about Act One or Chapter One or Breakdown One is really we're going to call it. Oops, I did it again. Because you see, the nation of Israel had been delivered by God. They had been delivered by a judge. But as soon as the judges went away, Israel began to worship false idols again. 
They began to put their faith in other things. And so what God did is God raised up from just above the Sea of Galilee in the land of Hazor, a king who basically was called Jabin. Jabin is the, the Canaanite word for king, okay? And so we have this man, Jabin, who basically invades the nation of Israel, the tribes, and he has this incredibly cruel general by the name of Sisera. All right, and Sisera has 900 chariots made of iron. Now, today you think that's like what they do at at, at VBS. You know, they make chariots and they race. That was actually a big deal back then. He was the George Patton of his time. He was a commander of tanks, and nobody else had anything like it. So Sisera was raised up uh, under Jabin, the king who operated out of Hazor, which was north of the Sea of Galilee. And so for 20 years, this Jabin ruled over the nation of Israel with an iron fist. And his iron thumb was this Sisera guy. All right? And he was cruel and and, and awful to the people of Israel. And so the people of Israel, noticing, hey, you know what? We probably shouldn't have turned against Yahweh. Shouldn't have turned against God. They have a judge in their land right now, a ruler in their land. And get this. It's a woman. Now, for today's society, we go, what's the big deal about that? Well, back then it was a very big deal because in the eyes of that culture, this isn't Pastor Jamie's belief, this is what the culture was, women were viewed as a very secondary creature. They never held places of authority. They never held this. And it was a man's world, all right? And so for Deborah to be a ruler over the nation of Israel was a very humbling place for the nation of Israel. In fact, it only happens four times in the history of Israel where a woman would would rule or judge over the nation. And Deborah is the only time where she's been blessed by God and the people are cool with it too. The people love Deborah. She has her her seat that she sits upon and the people bring their disputes to her and they come to her and she settles all the legal arguments and things of such. But but Deborah's not about herself. Deborah's about glorifying God. And so in her wisdom, she seeks the knowledge of the Lord and she rules and does her thing. And the people keep coming to her saying, Deborah, we're, we're being oppressed by these Canaanites. We're being oppressed by the people in Hazor. You got Jabin is, is, is destroying us and we need relief. We need relief. And she says, you guys have turned your backs on God and we need to turn back to God. And so the people say, what would God have us do? And so this is where we pick up the story in Act 2, where it comes from what I call now wisdom from an unlikely place, the woman. All right? And so we see that there's turmoil happening. And so if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Judges 4, uh, verse 4 with me right now. And it says this, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at this time. She held court under a palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. So she sent Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kedesh and Naphtali and said to them, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go with 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead the way to Mount Tabor. Now, nowhere in history, including the scriptures, do we read that Deborah was a military commander. In fact, what we hear is, and later in chapter 5, is that Deborah cried out to God and said, Lord, what am I supposed to do? And God said to Deborah, I'm going to deliver Sisera and the people of Canaan, this Jabin guy, I'm going to deliver them into your hands. 
And what I want you to do is I want you to call this man, this general, this leader by the name of Barak, which means lightning. I want you to call him down. I want you to gather 10,000 men from the tribe of Naphtali and from the tribe of Zebulun, which sit on either side of Mount Tabor. I want you to rally the troops at Mount Tabor and I will deliver the enemy into your hand. Sounds simple enough, right? See, Deborah was wise because she trusted in the Lord. And I'm going to bring a map up here right now just because maps in the Bible are cool. Um, and I'm a nerd that way. And I want you to see, so you've got Zebulun on the left, you've got Naphtali on the right, and right there there's a little star in the middle with little lines leading to it. That's, that's Mount Tabor. Okay? Now, from Mount Tabor, you go straight across the blue line to a place called, place called Megiddo. Megiddo now is called Tel Megiddo because there's cities and ruins that have been built on top of each other there. And what's incredible about this is known as the Jezreel Valley. All right? And so what we're looking at right now is one of the most contested battlefields in the history of the world. Did you hear me? Nation upon nation, everybody from Egypt to to Rome to Israel to what we're about to see now have fought battles in this valley. This is the valley of death. When you stand on Mount Tabor, and I've done that with some of you in here, you can see all the way to Megiddo. When you stand at Megiddo, you can see all the way to Mount Tabor, and what you see is this valley in between that's desolate and empty. Oh, there's a river that runs through it, but it's, for all intents and purposes, a flat battlefield, cursed. You ever heard of the Battle of Armageddon? The end of the world? Going to happen there. You ever heard of a guy named King Saul? It's where he was killed. Even in the pages of Scripture, this is an infamous battlefield that today God has said to Deborah, grab 10,000 men from Naphtali, grab 10,000 men from Zebulun, get Barak, go, and I'm going to deliver the enemy into your hand. Okay? Deborah's all pumped. She's excited. So what she does is she goes to Barak and she says, hey, listen, we got a plan. Do this, and God's going to bless it. Barak says this to her, silly guys. You know, Barak has this attitude problem at this moment. One, it's either a lack of faith, or two, he's been out of shape because he's taken orders from a lady. Okay? Which is a real thing back then. Okay? This is, this is humility for Israel. Barak says to her this. He says, um, he says uh, if you go with me, I'll do this. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. All right, woman, you think you know the battle plan. You think you know the strategy. You come to the front lines with us. And if God's blessing you, then he'll bless us too. But I'm not going if you're not going. And so Deborah, in her wisdom, says, very well, I will go with you. And and think about this. Barak is set up to be the man that restores manliness in the Israel people. We're being ruled by a woman right now, but Barak's the one that went and he slayed Sisera. All he has to do is be obedient to what God's telling him through Deborah, and he's going to bring grunting and dirtiness back to, the, to Israel. Man rules. But he makes the mistake like every man, and he opens his mouth. That's right. It is funny. All right? Very well, Deborah says, I'll go with you. Now listen to this. But because of the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. It's ladies' night now. He had a chance to, to restore Israel in this way, but instead, Deborah doesn't say the, the glory is going to be mine, does she? She doesn't say that. She now says the glory that God was going to use you to do something amazing, and because of your attitude, God's going to give that blessing to somebody else. And guess what? It's a woman. 
And so I like Barak's response because Barak isn't completely a, a messed up guy here in this moment because he eventually comes to his senses. He's obedient to God and he does what he's asked. He gathers the men of Naphtali. He gathers the men of Zebulun and they go to Mount Tabor. Do you know Mount Tabor is also where Jesus was transfigured, by the way? Sorry, there's just lots of really cool stuff that happens in this spot. And so what happens is, is they're marching up to Mount Tabor to prepare for battle, but there's one key component that hasn't been talked about yet. Nobody told Sisera or Jabin that there was going to be a war. So, long story short, the cousin of Moses, all right, the cousin of Moses has pitched his tent at Kedesh at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, all right? He's there with his people, and, and he comes from the tribe of Judah, but they're kind of distant right now to everything that's going on. They're kind of like Spain or Switzerland during the war. They're just neutral, okay? I'm out of this one. And so you've got this guy, Haber, who has his people encamped, and he's related to Moses. They come from Judah, and he's there. And, and that's just kind of important to mention because you see Hazor is above the Sea of Galilee, and as, and as the armies of the enemy uh, are, are moving around, um, you have this moment where Sisera is hanging out with Haber and, and basically they're doing some business deals. You know, just because you're doing business with someone doesn't mean you're friends with them, right? It happens. So they're having a casual conversation and, and Haber basically says, hey, did you hear about Deborah and, and, uh, and, and, and you know, Barak going up on a Mount Tabor? They're, they're going to take you guys out. Sisera, being the prideful man that he was, says, wait, what? And he rallies the army. Now, on the east, on the west coast, you've got this town called, oh my goodness, I gotta look at it, Hag, uh, Herosheth Haggium, okay? On the far side of Israel there, he's rallying his chariots from there, and he gets the grand plan, and I'm gonna meet my troops at Megiddo, and we're gonna march from Megiddo across the valley, and when we get over to Mount Tabor, we're gonna teach these Israelites a lesson. So he rallies his soldiers, his 900 chariots. Remember, they're tanks of the day. And those Israelites are going to bring their spitball wads at us, and they think they're going to beat us. Now, what's interesting is in Canaan, the land of the Canaanites, they have a god by the name of Baal that they worship. All right? And Baal has really three ways of interpreting his name. The first one is, and this is gross, and sorry, kids, it's just that kind of day. He's known as the Lord of Feces. He's, yeah, rightly so. He's, a, he's not a real God, and he's the Lord of feces. He's the Lord of the flies, also. But Baal is also known as the Lord of the storm. It's important, because God is not only going to defeat Canaan, he's going to defeat their God, too. Because what happens is, is uh, Sesera rallies his troops at Megiddo, and they begin to march across and, and roll across the, uh, the Kishon River Valley, the Jezreel Valley there. And what happens is, is often the distance, as we'll learn this later in, in Judges 5, is that there's a storm that takes place. And the storm is just enough rain to turn that valley not into a complete soupy mess. So from a distance, you can't really see what's going on in the valley. But what happens is, is the earth there is turned into a mud that you can walk across but when you start taking chariots across it, they're going to sink, especially ones made of iron. And so off in the distance, the men of Canaan, who worship the storm god, see a storm of Bruin. Little do they realize the irony that God is going to take and crush their little god and use the storm as a way of defeating them. 
Because the chariots begin to roll in. And as the chariots roll in, they get stuck in the mud. And they, they, they become basically useless. And in that moment, Deborah, which from Mount Tabor, remember, you can see, sees what's happening. And God speaks to her. And Deborah said to Barak in verse 14, Go this day, for the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. And he says, by, she says, by the way, Sisera, remember, God said he's going before you. She's reminding him. You doubted him before, don't doubt him this time. And so Sisera takes the men, they, they, Sisera, they go down and they, they slay, and it literally says in Scripture that they slayed every single man. Now, if you see the green line from the battlefield all the way back, um, i got to get this name right, all the way back to Heroseph Hagoim, they, they slay men all the way back there. Every single person in the Canaanite army is killed except for one, and you're never going to guess who it is. Sisera. You guys seen this show, huh? So Sisera then gets out of his chariot because they're destroyed. Now there's, there's a yellow and an orange line. The orange line starts at, at, the, at the west coast, and it kind of circles, and it clearly makes a big detour around Mount Tabor because that's the route that Sisera takes on foot. That is not a little distance. That's like walking from here to Erie. All right? So he's fleeing for his life, trying to get back to Hazor, which is above the Sea of Galilee, and he's exhausted. He comes to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee at Kadesh, and there is his old business partner who's got a tent pitched. Remember that? The cousin of Moses. You've got this Haber and his wife, J.L. They've got camp set up, and Sisera's fleeing for his life, and Barak is breathing down behind him because Barak wants to prove uh, Deborah wrong and basically get the glory for himself. And so Sisera walks up to jail and basically says to her, hey, can I crash here for the night? I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble. And I'm going to pick this up in Scripture. So it says in verse 17, of 417, Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of jail, the wife of Haber, the Kenite, because there were friendly relations between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the clan of Haber, the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So they entered her tent, and she put a covering over him. Now, if George Patton wasn't in his tank, that's simply because there wasn't a tank to be had. And if Sisera is walking around on foot, that's because there wasn't a chariot to be had. And in this moment, Jael, who comes from the tribe of Judah, they're connected to the tribe of Judah, in this moment has a decision to make. She sees the great military commander coming to her house without his chariot, which means one thing. She knew what was happening at Mount Tabor, and she knows that if he's fleeing, the, the Israelites' God must have delivered, delivered his army into their hands. And in that moment, she makes a decision, do I ally with this turkey, or do I ally with Yahweh, the God of Israel. She makes a very wise choice. I call this section hammer time. All right? Because what happens next in this fourth act, all right, is Jael invites him in and says, go to sleep, take care, lay down, and the scripture's great. And this is not one of those scriptures you want to read to your kids before bed, all right? So, Jael went outside to meet Sisera. Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered the tent, and she put a covering on him, and he said, I'm thirsty. He said, please give me some water. So she opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, um, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway, he told her, and if someone comes by and asks, is anyone here, tell them no. 
But Jael, Haber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quickly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted, and then she drove a tent peg through his head. The ends. Good night, kids. <laughs> what? This escalated really quick. I thought she was the safe place. Stop hammer time. <laughs> I love it. God is hysterical. So when Deborah said that the glory would belong to a woman, he wasn't talking about her. He was talking about to this JL. And so later, you know, a couple minutes later, an hour or two, you know, time is a little bit different back then than it is now. Barak comes strolling along up to the Sea of Galilee. He sees the house of JL and he says, hey, have you seen Sisera anywhere? And she says, oh, I've seen him. Come look. Look what I did. She pulls him into the tent and shows him the dead body. And there's Barak like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I left Deborah behind. I put her in the back of the army so that I could get here first. And this lady kills him? And so in the worship that happens in the fifth, chap, fifth part of this saga, Deborah sings praises to God for the way that Jael delivered Israel. Isn't that funny? God humbled the men of Israel yet again, but still honored his promise and delivered them. Isn't that beautiful? And not only that, he humiliated the God of the storm. <laughs> he defeated his people using a storm as part of his ordinance. God is so incredible. Are you catching the awesomeness of this book? The awesomeness of these sketches? So we look at that and we say, okay, we got tent pegs and, 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 and head wounds. How does that lead to wisdom? Well, it leads to wisdom like this. It's simple. And I want you to listen. Because we just did a history lesson. A lot of head knowledge. What I love about this sermon is there is a lot of head knowledge, but the application is absolutely simple. And I already told you what the answer was. The reason why Deborah was so wise and successful, the reason why the nation of Israel was able to be liberated at the hands of even a woman was because of their relationship to the Lord. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're asking the question, I want to be wise. I want to make wise choices. Listen, your, your head knowledge, your earthly knowledge has nothing to do with wisdom. Because wisdom only comes from God. Wisdom is a gift from the Lord that is blessed upon the people that he chooses to bless it with. It's blessed upon the people that ask for it. It's blessed upon the people who are in relationship with him. Are you hearing me? Do you want to be a wise person? then I ask you a simple question. How is your relationship with the Lord? If your relationship with the Lord is intimate, then you're hearing God speak to you. And when you hear God speak to you, His wisdom is going to be doted upon you. Listen to this. It's almost like Scripture can preach this better than we can. i got a lot of passages I want to run through with you real quick to explain this person of wisdom that we're talking about. You know, wisdom is mentioned over 222 times in the Old Testament alone. When we think of wisdom, we think of a particular character in the Bible by the name of Solomon. Solomon, God said, I'll give you whatever you want. He said, give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. And so Solomon gave us a gift in the book of wisdom of Proverbs. And so I want to walk you through what wisdom is. According to Webster, the state of being wise is what wisdom is. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's helpful. But it's knowledge of what is true or right, coupled with just judgment as to action, discernment, or insight. That's wisdom. It's doing what's right, really. But how do we know what's right? 
How do we know where the source of wisdom is? Well, listen, 1 Corinthians 1.25 says that God's wisdom is incredible. It says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God in his giddiest, goofiest mode is wiser than we are on our wisest of wise days. God is brilliant. God is the source of wisdom. James 3.17 says this, that wisdom comes from heaven, first of all, it's pure. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial and sincere. Wisdom that comes from heaven is these things. That's how we're to be living as Christians. We're to be sincere. We're to be impartial. We're to be producing fruit because of our intimacy with God. We're to be full of mercy. We're to be submissive to Him. We're to be considerate to one another. Peace, loving, and pure. Are you seeing this? So where do we start with wisdom? We want wisdom, so where do we start? Well, according to that guy Solomon, he says this in the beginning of the book of Psalms. He says, and again, in, um, I said Psalms, listen to me, Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but the fool despises wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Same thing. Listen to me. He's not talking about being afraid of God. It's a healthy respect of the Lord and the way that you revere a parent or someone that you do respect. Wisdom begins in intimacy with God. So how do you get it? You ready for this one? Get your checkbooks out. Just kidding. It's simple. How do we get wisdom? You don't have to go to a special school. You don't got to take a special test. You simply have to ask God for it. James 1.25 uh, excuse me, James 3.17. Uh, never mind, James 1.5. <laughs> there it is. There's, I told you, look at how many scriptures there are today. James 1.5 says, whoever asks for wisdom, I will give it to him. Ecclesiastes 2.26 tells us that God will give wisdom to those who please him. If you're pleasing the Lord, that means you're in relationship with the Lord. And so if you are in relationship with the Lord and you ask him for wisdom, listen to me, God's going to grant you wisdom. He's going to help you with those discernment decisions that you have to make. Not always the answer you want to hear, but God's always given you an answer and he's going to give you wisdom. So we get it by asking for it. We get it by pleasing God. So why should we get wisdom is the other question I asked when reading this. Well, we get wisdom because wisdom will protect us. Wisdom will guide us. In fact, Proverbs 4, 6, and 7 says this, Do not forsake wisdom. And again, the person of wisdom is being personified by Solomon here as as this lady who loves us. Okay, It's not a fourth person of the Trinity. All right, It's Trinity for a reason. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Lady wisdom doesn't find her way in there. Okay, But But it says, Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. You understand what that's saying? If you love and desire to be wise and you're in intimacy with God, your wise decisions will not lead you to ruin. You you following me? Okay. Proverbs 3, 13 through 15 says, Wisdom brings true happiness. We in our lives are searching for happiness and we search for it in stuff and things and people, but wisdom brings us happiness because wisdom leads us to where the source of happiness is, and that's God. And it says this in Proverbs three thirteen through 15, Blessed are those who find wisdom, 
those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. The book of Proverbs in chapter 8 is really this section of scripture where it personifies lady wisdom. And I want to encourage you as you go home today, reread all these passages of scripture. They're very fun and, and it's exciting. But Proverbs 8 really personifies wisdom as this person who loves us, as this lady that cares for us. And I think it's interesting that God chose to personify wisdom as a form of a woman. But Proverbs 8, or, yeah, Proverbs 8 tells us that wisdom is something that is discerning. It says wisdom is truth. It says that wisdom is pure, that wisdom is a precious gift, and, and that uh, is, wisdom is precious, and that wisdom is a gift. And so the question I have for us this morning is, are you a discerning person? And if you're not, do you have wisdom? Are you a person of truth? Are you pure in your motive? Do you value wisdom above financial things in this earth? Are you, is it, um, do you understand that wisdom is a gift from God? Or do you think it's something that you can simply earn? Listen, God blesses us with, with wisdom because he loves us. The band's going to come here and we're going to finish up here in a moment. But I want to challenge us. You know, this morning I'm telling you that you need a relationship with the Lord in order to make it in this life. And next week, when Pastor Jared comes up and he gives the sermon, we're going to give the grandest message of wisdom that we can possibly give, that only Jesus saves. And so as we do this, I ask you the question, do you feel lost? Do you feel empty? Do you feel like you have no clue what to do next in your life? Well, if you feel that way, be like Deborah and sit still and ask God to speak to you because I promise you, he will. Intimacy with God brings wisdom. Amen? Amen. Be praying for people next week as we bestow that wisdom upon them. So Father, we thank you and we love you. And as we look through this history lesson this morning, Lord, we pray that you would, one, remind us of the awesomeness of the adventures in the Bible. We thank you for the reminder of Deborah's wisdom and how she didn't just simply let Barak uh, get away with stuff, Lord. We love that her wisdom was enough that she simply slowed down and listened to you instead of rushing forward trying to gain the glory for herself. We see how gaining glory for yourself ultimately led to humility and humbleness. And we thank you that Barak had that um, humble attitude towards the end of this story. That he, in the last part of the story, would be able to sit down with Deborah and sing praises to you over the events that took place. We thank you for the way that you delivered Israel. But Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ because today we don't have to sit under the authority of the judges of the Old Testament because you sent Jesus Christ to pay the fee that we all owed. We thank you, Lord, that we are not slain in the way that they were slain then. But we thank you for the way that you pour grace and mercy on us because your son, because you, Jesus, conquered the grave. We look forward to Easter. We thank you for this week. May it be a penitent week with an epic ending. And all of God's people said, Amen.